a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And Keith, good to be back in the studio. And today we're talking about the economic world war. Now, in terms of this economic world war, we've all been focused on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But the economic world war between Russia and the US and its allies is significant. How significant mm. strategically? So this is a um, an article which has been circulated by Noel Whittaker. He produces a weekly or semi-regular newsletter, mainly on superannuation. He's one of the parents of the superannuation industry. He's probably giving advice to your financial planner. So Noel is, is a veteran of all of this, but he um, has issued what he calls his special bulletin. He says it comes from a subscription service I use and they're happy for the information to be shared and I'm obviously willing to be part of that sharing of the information. So it's a, it's an article by an anonymous uh, writer, at least in, in terms of Noel's circulation. And what intrigued me was this notion of there being an economic world war, the first economic world war of the modern era. So we're spending a lot of time at the moment on Ukraine looking at the suffering and the war crimes, etc. This is uh, looking at a completely different approach to Russia's behaviour and is arguing that we're now caught up in an economic world war. Slowly we're becoming aware of the repercussions the sanctions on Russia are having on the global economy. Less clear are the instruments that Russia can employ against the West. How this will change the world is a mystery. All we can do is to look back at what Russia has prepared for and guess what could come next? This is only the beginning. So it's really just saying, keep an eye on what's going on in terms of the economics. Don't be just focusing on the terrible suffering that's going on in Ukraine. There is a bigger economic picture at work. And the argument from this author is that Russia has been at this, planning for this for decades. So even though the actual invasion of Ukraine seems to have happened quite recently, uh, Russia has been preparing for this moment, according to this author, for the last 20-odd years since Putin came to power. And that's what they're working through at the moment. So the bottom line is that Putin has been very shrewd in being able to capitalise on Russia's immense energy reserves and become a major supplier of energy to Europe. And the argument was, I guess, is that the people who would have said, like Donald Trump, to give him credit, warning the Germans not to go ahead with this, what's called the Nord Stream 2 project. So the Nord Stream 1 pumped uh, gas out of Russia into Germany, and then they've built a pipeline running directly parallel with it, and that is the Nord Stream 2. And Trump was opposed to that. He said that Germany was becoming too reliant upon Russian energy, and that's exactly what has turned out to be the case. So Putin has actually suckered in Germany and a lot of other European countries. And this article is just saying, well, this this is Putin's long-term plan. This is what he's been working towards. And at the moment, you'd have to say it's paying off because Biden is making it quite clear he doesn't want to have a head-on collision with Russia. Russia's got nuclear weapons. 
but also you've got the Germans saying we can't afford to cut off the energy coming from Russia. We'll, we'll end up with a recession. And Germany is, what, about the fifth largest economy, I think, the second largest exporting nation in the world right behind China. So we, we, we can't afford to have Germany go down. So to that point, Germany has really factored in Putin's strategy when it comes to making Europe economically dependent on Moscow. So how has working closely with Europe and establishing those business ties and really building a political network been important for Russia over the past two decades more broadly? One has to hand it to Putin, although he's behaved, I think, stupidly in um, the last uh, few months. Nonetheless, looking back at it, you can see there's a very clear game plan that he's followed. So number one is that he has improved relations, so to speak, with Germany and elsewhere, so that they then became overly reliant upon Russia as a supplier of nuclear energy. The article makes some really interesting claims about how they were able to win over the Germans. A number of German high flyers were actually seduced by the Russians. So he, in this article, he says that it's worth noting the Kremlin used personal relationships to score up its influence. So the former German Chancellor, Gerhard Schroeder, was trapped to lead Nord Stream 1. Remember, that's the pipeline which is in operation. Uh, the Nord Stream company also hired the former Finnish Prime Minister, Paavo Lipponen, as a consultant to speed up the permit process in Finland. The former Italian Prime Minister, Matteo Renzi, served on the border of Delonville, a Russian car-sharing service. Former Finnish Prime Minister, Esko Ahu, uh, was on the board of Russia's largest bank, Sherbank. Uh, the former Austrian Chancellor Christian Kern resigned from the board of Russia's state-owned railway company in the early days of the war in Ukraine, while another ex-Chancellor, Wolfgang Schussel, remains on the border of Russia's Luke Oil. This is really sophisticated seduction. So Russia uh, has spent a long while just cultivating these influential people, and it's all part of this 20-year long-term process of winning over sympathy for the Russian point of view. And so remember the, the, the basic argument until Ukraine came along, the basic argument is that the Russians will always continue to trade with the West. They wouldn't do anything to jeopardise their economic relationship because they've got to continue to sell natural gas and other energy to the West. So that, that way Russia will always behave itself. So when they were getting underway with Nord Stream 2, there would have been people saying, it's unwise to have all your eggs in the Russian basket. But you can imagine some of these Germans now working with the Russian government, some of these Germans saying, oh, no, no, Russia will always want to be selling its stuff. Therefore, it'll behave itself. It's not going to cause any problems. It'll want to make money. Remember, money makes the world go around. Everybody has a price on their head. You can always buy someone. You now end up with Putin, who thinks, well, I'm not going to be solely motivated by money. So Putin was brilliant at using money to seduce all these former leaders into going working for Russian interests. It also uh, became involved with the World Trade Organization. So it's seen as a, uh, a major uh, upholder of the international trading system. It's not a major player in that, but it does supply energy and other areas. And the West got suckered in by the Russians. 
And so we've talked about this before, but why is Putin so threatened by the eastward expansion of Western influence and and the actual socioeconomics behind it versus the threat of, say, NATO or the European Union itself? So Russia, irrespective of who's in power in Leningrad or Petrograd or Moscow, for centuries has been worried about an invasion from the West. When you actually look at the Russian landmass, it's flat. You've got a, a mountain range which tends to divide European Russia from Siberia, but it's actually ideal for invading, as the Teutonic Knights will tell you. So remember, we're not just dealing with Putin. This is not a new fixation. This has been on the Russian radar screen for centuries, and they've been worried about the Poles, they've been worried about the Germans. And so one argument is that uh, NATO was pushing its border further and further east. Remember, in uh, the end of the Cold War, the Americans promised Gorbachev, NATO will not move one inch to the east. That's clearly not been adhered to. And so NATO has continued to move further and further east. So that's one argument about why Putin has behaved. It's just traditional Russian paranoia. One can go back to Peter the Great and all sorts of things. This is not just unique to Putin. I think a second factor, and this is what's looked at in the article, because the article has clearly got an economic focus rather than the, the sort of the military one. What is happening is that as a country like Ukraine joins the European Union, or Poland for that matter, so they begin to have an economic renaissance. And therefore, I think Putin's fear was that if Ukraine is a fully-fledged member of the European Union, then because there's a a Russian population in the eastern side of the country, they will say, well, look at how well things are going for Ukraine in the European Union. Why can't Russia get in? Of course, Russia will not be let in. The only conversation I ever had really in, in depth with my Club of Rome colleague, Mikhail Gorbachev, the former Soviet leader, We were talking about Russia in in the European home, as it's called. So for centuries, this is not just a new idea. This is not Gorbachev. This goes all the way back to Peter the Great, Catherine the Great. They all wanted to have Russia accepted as a European country. Europe was seen as being advanced and civilised, etc. And that's what some Russians wanted, the more metropolitan of them. And we see, therefore, that, that there's this fear for Putin that in fact, if Russia does join the European Union, which is now impossible, but if it were to, then obviously it would need to subscribe to the Europeans' ideas about free flow of money and ideas, people, etc. Well, for a start, a lot of Russians would just simply leave the, leave the country. <laughs> Remember, when Britain was in the European Union, the second most common language in Britain was Polish. So many Polish workers had had gone to work in Britain. So Putin's fear was that I think, leaving aside the traditional Russian paranoia, there is an economic fear that somehow uh, we would end up, uh, or he would end up, with Ukraine in the European Union and flourishing, and for there to be demands from Russians saying, we want our own country to join the European Union. And that would be very destabilising for him. So I think that's the other motivation. So there is, yes, the traditional argument which we're all using that NATO had caused problems for Russia's traditional military paranoia. But what this article is also arguing, and I find it's an interesting one, is that in fact Putin fears the economic power 
of the European Union. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Tannock, and Keith, today we're talking about an economic world war. So to your point, if this has been on Russia's radar for centuries, what impact has COVID had and Putin's concerns about the economic instability it would bring now? Yeah. The problem with with COVID for a lot of health systems, we've been lucky in this country because of the way that we've handled it, uh, but other countries that have been struck down with COVID, we've got governments who are recognised and they haven't spent enough money in their own health services. And Putin clearly thinks that if there were major outbreaks, even worse outbreaks of COVID in Russia, it would add to the instability within the country. Remember, Putin has got a number of challenges. He's a dictator, sure, has control over what is now the successor to the KGB and all that. But at the same time, he knows that there are economic issues with Russia. Russia has not been able to modernise its economy. Remember, it's just basically, as um, one American politician said, Russia is basically a gas station pretending to be a country. So he's not been able to diversify the economy and it's seen as an unsafe place to go. This is before the Ukraine war. Seen as an unsafe place to go. Therefore, they haven't been able to develop a tourist industry. Let me just say I've travelled extensively in Russia and I love the country. It is really great. The problem is it's had a succession of lousy rulers. <laughs> All the time I've wanted to go to Russia, they've had lousy rulers. But nonetheless, when you are there, you it is amazing uh, what we can see as if you're a tourist. But At the moment, who'd want to be a tourist? And, of course, COVID simply adds to all of these problems. And this would then, again, be another threat to him. We do not know just how permanent is his control over the country and, you know, whether there are people plotting to get him. We know there are a number of leaders of the opposition, like Navalny, for example, who's in jail. Others have fled the country. Others have been shot or poisoned. Uh, so we we just don't know the full extent of the control. We know that Putin, ex-KGB, is permanently paranoid. You look at these meetings which he has with foreign leaders, they all sit a long way away. You know, this is the ultimate in social distances, sitting at the other end of a long boardroom table. So he clearly is very paranoid and fears that a major, an even greater outbreak of COVID in Russia would be a disaster. But in fact, we're seeing some of the socioeconomic impacts of the pandemic start to fade somewhat. So why was that action so urgent in terms of, you know, from the Kremlin's perspective? Why did they believe they've got enough knowledge about the way the West works now and why is it time to fight now? I think it goes back to the American withdrawal from Afghanistan and Iraq. Clearly, the Americans have been defeated. They're on the run. And clearly, of course, America is plagued with all these culture wars and a very divided political system. And I think that Putin figured that this would be a good time to strike because the West is so divided. Uh, And after all, he got away with the occupation of Crimea eight years ago. So why not try to get control of the whole of the country. The West is not in a position to oppose him. Ironically, what he's done is to breathe new life into NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And it solidified a lot of American comment uh, behind Joe Biden in wanting to stand up to Putin. Plus, of course, you get the role of the social media and those appalling photos that are coming out now about the suffering in Ukraine. So there's a real groundswell of anger 
which I think he just did not expect to encounter. And also I think when you look at how badly his uh, invasion force had been prepared in terms of food and fuel, I think he expected a quick victory. And in fact, we're now seeing sanctions being placed on on Russia, but what repercussions could that have on the wider global economy as this goes on? Well, the obvious thing to do would be to close down Nord Stream 1, right? We've already said that there'd be no Nord Stream 2 coming online. So this would then shut down the flow of energy to Germany. Now, Germany is the major player in Western Europe, or in Europe really, outside of Russia. Russia, by the way, has got an economy the size of somewhere between Australia and Canada. It's not a major economic player. Now, Germany, 20 years ago, after the Fukushima tragedy in Japan, that nuclear power station, said we will close down nuclear power. And then uh, it decided we'd close down the coal industry. So there's only a bit of coal mining right in the eastern part of Germany just to keep some people employed. And it's dirty coal. It's not good coal. So they've got away from nuclear power, they've got away from coal, and they've put all their eggs or a lot of their eggs in uh, alternative energy like solar energy and also in wind energy and also importing the energy from Russia. And they thought they were safe to do so because the Russians will always want to sell gas and therefore the Russians would always behave themselves. The fear now is that if Germany goes into recession, It'll, it'll trigger all sorts of other economic impacts around the world. And remember, the global economy is still fragile. We had the 2008 financial crash in the United States, and uh, we've had other disasters since then, including, of course, now COVID and having to shut down economies. So the global economy is still very vulnerable. And there are whole areas of the world that have still not been vaccinated. So these are the reservoirs where the next versions of COVID will emerge from. So we, we really can't afford to have Germany go out of the picture or Western Europe generally. So many implications for the global economy, but what is Australia's role in this, if any, or how is Australia impacted? Australia is impacted because, uh, well, ironically, in a good way, because <laughs> Russia and Ukraine are major food exporters, except that they can't export the food so easily. Uh, Australia is also a major food exporter. We can feed up to 70 million people, and we've got a population of 26 million. So we've got lots of food that we can sell. And I should imagine there are a number of Australian farmers who are saying, well, we're going to do well out of this war. So there will be an actually economic advantage to that. But then there will be disadvantages because of the disruption of flying, transport, all sorts of things that go through Europe uh, because of the war. And don't forget, the war could drag on. I noticed it. General Mike Milley, head of the US Defence Force, has said this could be a war that drags on for months, if not years. It's got capacity to do a lot of damage, particularly for those people who are living off their investments. So is it possible to predict what is next in terms of this global economic war or we nearly just really need to be prepared for anything by the sound of it? Yeah, exactly. I don't think anybody can predict how it's going to go. As this article circulated by Noel Whitaker has said, um, this is only the beginning. We have no idea how it'll change the world in the long term. We will be talking about Ukraine one way or another for years to come in various contexts. That was this week's episode of Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. 
listener.